Hello everyone. This is Elizabeth Chapin with Austin Enneagram and my friend Lee my Jackson, par- my partner. Um, okay. So we're continuing with Naranjo. Neotype type structures. Yes. Book. And we're doing chapter four. Type four. So the title of this chapter is Seeking Happiness Through Pain, <laughs> which is really good. It's very good. Um, and he starts off with kind of describing envy, which is the main um, sin or passion or uh, fixation mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The emotional state of envy involves a painful sense of lack and a craving towards that which is felt lacking. The situation involves a sense of goodness as something outside oneself that needs to be incorporated. Um, and I would say, I would say that just really puts everything in a nutshell, kind of that sense of goodness outside oneself that you're trying to incorporate. And it's something you're always incorporating and you're never there and um um that's why I think embodiment has been helpful to me lately because I realize how much I'm uh grabbing things that are outside of myself or thinking about things that are outside myself or whatever I'm just everything is this big emotional grab right and and if I can settle just into my bones and into my body and like feel myself in the world um, and just be okay, sometimes I kind of pat myself. Yeah. And um, and just kind of try to center myself in the in the moment, and that's just that just that little moment of awareness that I'm okay. Stop the emotional grab, Elizabeth. Just. Just I feel put like it down. the word craving is really visceral to me. Yes. I mean, I think that is, that's really good language. Really good language. But it's so it's just hard a constant to, crave. Right. How God. many, like, layers of our life when we, when we were to, if we were to apply that word to ourselves, whatever it is that we're after, that is so hard to stop. To stop craving. To, yes. Yeah. Or to even be aware of why or what. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a real... I mean, most of the time I don't know what. No. And... It's just not. Yeah. You just know it's not there. Yeah. And I put out in the margins that Instagram is an envy lack machine. Yeah. Um, And I kind of feel like, maybe this is not true, but I feel that if you ask someone if they have a like a happy cheerful relationship with Instagram and they're like yeah it's so um it's so fun like it makes me so happy I love opening it up and seeing pictures of flowers or cats or whatever they're not a four you know (laughs) like like they're just not um actually got into a fight with a friend of mine about this because she says she's a four and she was just like I love it it's such a just such a it just I just check out for the day and it makes me so happy and I'm like okay because for me, it's just it's just that it's that outward grab, and it's mm-hmm. like scroll grab. You're just do well, you, you know they call it doom scrolling. Like know. it's a f- big fat doom scroll, and 
a big fat um, lack scroll, yeah. you know, and like there's not a chance for what, like what you were just showing mm-hmm. to touch to your, like patting my chest to reconnect yourself mm-hmm. to where you are. It's, it's the, like your brain can't even keep the, up with the craving. Exactly, it's the opposite of patting my chest, and it mm-hmm. feels like you know, it's it's uh, it speeds up the natural emotional grab of a four it just takes it and says hey i'm gonna put it on steroids and give it to you on an iv drip you know it's just it's almost like for all of us probably what it does to some degree is kind of make that groove um, or trench of lack even deeper in our brains yes and and you are already kind of addicted to that lack definitely and it just almost like a steroid for lack it's a lack just, steroid man instagram it is a lack steroid goes right to that yeah. space in you totally yeah it's mm. it's really hard it, i'm always trying to wean myself off of it um okay that was on page 67 on page 68 i'm going to read this chapter about fours and fives because i'm wait, obsessed wait, with is there something else you want to read before that I'm obsessed with the four or five thing. I do think it's, well, there's some of that four or five stuff on page, 67. on the first page, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but he talks about um, the excessive craving for love mm-hmm. that it entails never answers the chronic sense of scarcity and badness. Yeah. But on the contrary, stimulates further frustration and pain, which is similar to the loop you just talked about in Instagram, that you're craving love but it's an excessive craving um yes also that word again yeah yeah, i like that word excessive Um, craving and it never actually gets you to where you want to go which is what all of our enneagram kind of fixations do Mm -hmm. um read that second paragraph i think it's good the full one the full thing i think so it's good starting with though yeah though an understandable reaction to early frustration and deprivation, envy constitutes a self-frustrating factor in the psyche for the excessive craving for love that it entails never answers the chronic sense of inner scarcity and badness. That's a mm-hmm. intense word to me. Inner scarcity and badness, but on the contrary, it stimulates further frustration and pain. Mm. And that's like a, again, I, I think part of what is helpful for the four, for all of us, is how, to me, how visceral the language is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just just out there, because we all do, we're all up to that, but the intensity of how you're going about it um, is helpful to me, you know, just to try to start identifying, I'm in the same cycle, like we're all in the same cycle, whatever we've decided of looking for of love. Of looking for love, of looking for being worth. okay, of yeah. being our true self. None of it's... None of our none of habits it's, work. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the kind of juiciness of yours. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so, um, and, and then he goes on to say, is that what you were going to get yeah, into? Okay. Yeah, the next paragraph. Um, the position of envy in the Enneagram is that of a satellite to vanity. So mm-hmm. he's talking about fours envy and threes vanity and a neighbor to point five avarice 
which entails a comparable sense of deprivation to envy. So you're both lack, big yes. time lack. Yeah, and I feel that in my marriage. Like, City. I, Nathaniel, I don't have to like work, mm-hmm. work on it. Um, <clears throat> though it involves a different attitude in face of the experience of scarcity. While point four represents a forceful reaching out, yes, mm-hmm. an intense demand for that which it missed, yes. yes. <laughs> point five is characterized by a psychic attitude of giving up and the expectation of anything from the outside and rather a concern about holding in one's energy, caring, and attention. And um, our last number night was five, and we talked about this um, giving up, and it's kind of like a, they give up too quickly, mm-hmm. fives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's funny. It's like fours maybe need to give up, and fives need to keep keep going. It's almost... And that, and that looking for connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's the lack... I, I like that it's a like two polar ends mm. of lack. Yes. That you can't trust that anything inside of you is going to meet your needs. Mm-hmm. And somehow the five ends up thinking everything inside of them will meet their needs. Yeah. When they, really they got what, it all. Really what you need is the opposite. Yes. Right? Like you need, you kind of need the opposite yeah. of one another. Totally. But it's both out of a sense of lack. Like yes. Like not believing that you... Um, you're, you're going to find it. what you need or have what you need. Right. Yep. Um, so good. So good. Okay. Um, Let's go back to that. Yes. So even though the enneotypes mapped at the positions four and five, envy and avarice, have in common the sense of worthlessness, guilt, and lack, and both may be described as depressed, <laughs> they are in marked contrast in various regards. While guilt and envy is conscious torture, in avarice, five, it is partially veiled over by a seeming moral indifference. I, li- I like that's that for a language. five, a, seem, mm-hmm. a seeming moral indifference. And that's, that is not true about the fives. They're using that as their coping and their armor. Mm-hmm. They seem that way. Mm-hmm. That's their shield. Yes. Um, that it shares with any a type eight. So the, the seeming moral indifference that the five shares with type eight and constitutes a rebellion against its own excessive demands and accusations. That's it. What do you think that means, Lee? Like, uh, what's a, what is a eights, what is an eights rebellion against its own excessive demands well, and accusations? Well, I feel like we've ta- tried to kind of put language around this in the past about eights, um, in their move forward, and this is how it's going to be done, I think mm-hmm. they have just decided they can dismiss mm-hmm. any, like they, their kind of practicality or this is it and this is what needs to be done regardless of the people around them or emotions, mm-hmm. you know, feeling that vacuum. I think that's an indifference. Like they are mm-hmm. choosing to be indifferent in order to, in their kind of, rush rush forward and and there are oftentimes excessive demands from an eight yes or um accusations that that they have the oftentimes the right way to do it or the way it needs to be done Mm -hmm. and that's a protection so so like the seeming indifference of an eight they think will allow them to continue plowing forward and the seeming indifference of a five will allow them to be an island and I feel like Left both alone. of them, similarly, uh-huh. how you are opposites, like they both, um, fives and eights, 
let me see if I can articulate this. They both want their uh, independence. Like they, ne- neither yes. one of them wants to be held accountable, a- or accountable, just, or, or just, just back. Yeah. Like, but a <laughs> five does that by going inside, oh, where yeah. no one, there are no restraints on yeah. a five. So they are just not connected to the outer world. The eight does it by making the outer world what they want to make the yeah. outer world and dismissing, in like kind of other views. Yeah. Um, and so both of them. There's indifference in both ways, internally yeah. and externally, um, and they're both protecting themselves. So interesting. I, I know it's harder, I think, to see that in an eight. The indifference, because yeah. they seem they seem so passionate. They seem like they know what they're up to, but they have to cut that off a little bit. All aggressive numbers yeah. kind of have to cut that off a little bit yeah. to keep moving. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you know, I think if I, sometimes dealing with fives, it can feel like they create a mud swamp for everyone to sludge through so that like with all their slowing down of things and facts that they're wanting to gather about things so that it, everything comes to it's like the opposite of an eight that comes to a screeching yeah. halt so but, they're both, but they're just so they're then both you just like don't tell me what they, to do yeah don't get in my space like but it's like so an eight, an eight gets his way, his or her way yeah. by going really fast and being really indifferent and really powerful. Mm-hmm. And a five gets his or her way by being really slow, putting everyone in the mud with them. Yep. They, they, um, it's wild, mm-hmm. but it's, and it's, the but they same. get their way. But it's, they're, it's, it's the like same. they're bullies on yeah. opposite poles. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. That was a big aside, but I liked it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. while depression and envy manifests, manifests as, Overt grief. I, I like that. Depression and envy manifests as overt so depression in the form. grief. Yes, mm-hmm. the avaricious, the five, often have trouble in crying or contacting their pain. True, so that their depression manifests rather as apathy and a sense of emptiness. Mm-hmm. It may be said that type five is a dry depression, <laughs> contrary to the wet depression so, of type four. Yes. Just as avarice is resigned, envy, four, is passionate. In this is reflected a sharply differentiated feature. Dry avarice is apathetic. Wet envy, most intense. If the one is a desert, the other is a marsh. And that's, uh, I just absolutely love that. I love love that he takes types and puts a... um, like a, a topographical overlay on it, you know, yes. like a like a, a environmental overlay. It's really interesting. And it's funny to me because you, like, as a four, you think that intensity of, like, he uses the word depression, but mm-hmm. grief, wetness, stickiness, mm-hmm. all of that is going to make you more lovable, like. Somehow in your head, that's what you've decided, right? Oh, 100%. You're going to get what you want. Uh And then also the five Mm -hmm. thinks by being dry and contained and disconnected that they're going to get what they want. Yes. Like that those two responses to, I mean, it's the same thing again. I catch myself. I've been catching myself socially. When people ask me questions or want to talk to me about something, I have to. I have to say, hey, uh, Elizabeth, 
like they don't really want to know all they don't this. want to get in your marsh <laughs> they don't want to get in the marsh they're not on a marsh tour <laughs> they're just wanting to stop by so um and some t- and and of course i realize that sometimes i overcorrect too mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i'm not good at it mm-hmm. i'm not good at kind of like oh hi i'm in the marsh and i know you just want like to use your binoculars and see the right. marsh you right. know right <laughs> you don't want to get in here with your yeah. waders um so, so I overcorrect too. I either give them all the stuff or I overcorrect and so people are like, how's your art going? And I'm like, it's, it's good. You know, it's good. I'm doing, you know, I give them like very, no, like nothing. And, mm-hmm. um, just recently somebody demanded that I tell them more and I was like, Oh, well, do you really want to know? And they're like, yes. Yeah. And I, so I told them a little more and then they're like, thank you. That's what I was looking for. So like, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to have appropriate. Um, I don't know how to offer appropriate amounts of myself to people. It's weird. I don't, but I don't know that that's just a forced struggle. I'm, yeah, it might be. I mean, I think that is just a struggle for people like yeah, we, boundaries that's like a and vulnerability lack of boundaries. and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sort of thing I think the struggle for you is that you are understanding that whether you offer an overview or not it doesn't matter like you are still like you don't have to mm. you, you, you don't have to one or yeah. the other to be yes loved or meaning yeah. mean something like yeah. you don't have just because you offer the perfunctory answer about your art doesn't mean you're shallow. Whereas just because mm-hmm. you go in the depth because someone asks you that you don't care to talk to about it, but you feel like you have to go into all of everything about it. Mm-hmm. Also, it doesn't matter. You know, like yeah. not that it doesn't matter, but that's not but, that's not where you are. Yeah, either or. It's just right? uh, it's just. Uh... Yeah, that's just a wave on the surface. Right. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's complicated. It's complicated. I could, could go on and on. Yeah. Because I think you can trick yourself into, like, I can trick myself, like, I think I used to more and more trick myself into thinking that if I invite you into my marsh, that you're going to be so grateful, right? And then it hurts me that people don't want to be in the marsh with me. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm realizing, oh, Elizabeth, you have to be a responsibility for your marsh tour. You, uh, you know, you, as Alabel said, you have one or two people in your life you can give all that stuff to, and that's enough. That's plenty. So not everybody's on the marsh tour. So I can, then though, I can overcorrect and, like I was saying, and trick myself into the kind of like having boundaries and not offering and feeling kind of almost smug about it because mm-hmm. I'm trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is you get, you're just, you're just not connecting with people. And that's, that's, so that's kind of, they're sort of both pathological. Yeah. 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 Which, which is why I guess, you know, the work is. Yeah. That you have to trust that you, regardless, mm-hmm. are you lovable. Are. Yes. Like you are just because you're you, regardless of the um, stickiness or not. You know, yeah, which is so you know yeah. reasonable to say, but that's I think that's how we work. Yeah, you know, it's just like me. I will never probably truly believe that I can just be out there or just mm-hmm. trust whatever surfaces for me mm-hmm. won't just create a big mess that will not engulf me 
and take my peace away forever. <laughs> right. You know, like yeah. that's always going to be yeah. happening in me in little ways. Um, yeah. So peeling it back mm-hmm. is, yeah. It's just, con- so it's just constant, constant work. Constant. Um, so envy, if we understand the essence of envy as an excessively intense desire for incorporation of the good mother, the concept coincides with the psychoanalytic notion of a cannibalistic impulse. And, and Man, that, I circled that, buddy. I love cannibalistic impulse. And it feels like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I put on our, our in Instagram a while back, I was listening to a podcast with Jenny Saville, who's a painter that I love. And she paints, she paints uh, surfaces of bodies. And she paints them as if she's almost inside them she's looking at them but she's so close and she's she overwhelms you with the landscape of the skin yeah and uh she describes herself as being a scavenger of feelings Mm -hmm. and so I love those two things a cannibalistic impulse and a scavenger of feelings and I think that's um I think that's what what we're up to um and I think uh I, I feel it, again, in relationships. I catch myself. Um, it feels cannibalistic. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that way with my children, too. As a, now, that I, now that they've gone, mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of this excessive longing I have for them. And, this, and, and, and I, I said to Alva, I mean, this is so pathological, but like even when she's right in front of me, even if I'm hugging her and talking to her and it's, everything's great, there's something it's all me there's something there I want more I want to eat her I want to inhale her I want to take her inside my body which like she's going to hear this as a three and go what the fuck mom anyway but I mean and and I'm like aware that I'm feeling this way so I don't put it on her I never have like I I maybe I don't think I I think I've been pretty good about that because it scares me so much but um I, in fact, it scares me so much that I talk about it like a tough guy. So when, oh, I'm an empty nester, it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's great. I can sleep in. Yeah, and I'm all into it. But really, really, what I'm dealing with is this this cannibalistic Mm -hmm. impulse. And um, there's nothing to be done about it. And so again, that's kind of where I have to go back and start patting myself. Just Mm -hmm. calm down, pat yourself. Um, You can't eat your children and you can't eat anybody yeah. and um and what does that even mean like yeah. it's a fantasy yeah what I'm after it's doesn't exist such a depth of connection or which if you had it might gross you out actually yeah I mean honestly right yeah right. it I might mean, it might be and I think getting underneath it even if that's always going to be your Intensity, the soothing of, and the depth of connection, like the love. He also kind of says that it can be the cannibalistic impulse can be manifest not only as a love hunger, mm-hmm. but a generalized voraciousness <laughs> or greediness. Like yes, the, I love that. The more Voracious. of that impulse in you, if yeah. you can in the moment, which is so hard because it's always buzzing. That's the trick of all of this work is if you can just allow that to fall away mm-hmm. versus moving, like the letting the craving take over, mm-hmm. then you realize that 
that lack is not true. Right. That, you know, like that the and actually you have to you, practice, you, and you don't you don't need to eat anyone alive. Like I, you don't you don't actually need that because you have yeah. what you need. Yes, um, and not and that's realizing so hard, not stopping at that point and realizing it, and just continuing to grab for it creates the lack more. It creates more You're lack. Just hungrier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or and also the person goes away. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and you have to be you have to take responsibility for that as the four that you're. You're manifesting your own lack yes. Um, yes. with your with your cannibalist your cannibalistic emotions. That's, that's that little first paragraph of under on sixty nine is just it's badass full of stuff. Good yes. stuff. Um, okay. Okay. Um, then uh, on page seventy one, it talks, and this is embarrassing. Um, the idealization of the upper classes and a strong social climbing drive. Yeah. That just really makes me want to vomit, and I have to admit that it's, it's true. true. Oh, yeah. it's 100% true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think there can be a romanticization of of things that are very simple and, quote, not upper class, but they have to be aesthetically proper for me to think that they're charming, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, Let's see, a hateful competitiveness towards the privileged. So that's interesting because while we have this idealization of the upper classes and this strong social climbing drive, we have a hateful competitiveness towards it. Um, That made me think of um, when we interviewed George. Mm -hmm. Do you remember he kind of talked about as a child that sense of wanting what other people had and knowing there was a difference and kind of putting himself in those spaces mm, yes, um, as just so he could like sense what it's like or almost pretend yeah. that um, he was there. Um, and in which the middle of that. Me, yeah. Which, you know, when you hear that initially, you do kind of think, oh, I don't know. Like if you're not deeply listening or you're real... Um, caught up in wanting to type someone you know if you were to read or hear this you would think right away three or Mm, kind of project that on someone when this is part of that envy confusion of what a four carries around yes because I don't because the three doesn't have the push-pull relationship with this upper class Mm. climbing a three might idealize it and strive for it if that's part of their ethos right um, but even just but the, the, it's not going to be that conflictual for them. They're just going to strive for it. Whereas it. a four, I mean, he goes on to say, the pursuit of the extraordinary and the intense, along with the corresponding dissatisfaction with the ordinary and the non-dramatic. So there's constant push-pull mm-hmm. of wanting to be, you know, um, Russ Hudson, he did a he beautiful like talk about this, and it just made me laugh so hard. I put it on our feed. Yeah. But he talks about how we, you know, like I, I've never joined a country club, and I never don't, I don't ever want to join a country club or anything like that because it's to me, even though that's like. But you belong to a pool club. I do. I belong to the Soho House because <laughs> it's for artists, and I'm like that's good. But I felt conflictual about it. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, I do feel conflictual about it. But it does, anyway, whatever. But there's this whole thing where, and growing up in Mississippi, where the the culture mm-hmm. is, generally speaking, like, you know, you wear these clothes, you go to this country club, you, you go to this church, you know, all these things. And so I didn't, I want to reject all those things because they, uh, they seem banal to me, but I also want to be a part of them. So there's this weird, yeah. weird... Uh, 
never going to be satisfied friction that you always are engaged in. And so I catch myself sometimes being engaged in it. Sometimes I am blind to one side or the other. Like I'll go along for a long time and not even realize Mm -hmm. uh, that I'm hanging out with or engaged with or that there's people in the world who really want to be in these spaces that I'm not that I'm denigrating or talking trash about and then I'm realized like why why do you even feel the need to talk trash about these spaces and it's because I'm trying to set up that specialness Uh and I'm going about it in Uh in such a a bad way like I really it's like I'm trying to create my special place there's part of me that thinks that I never could be in those spaces or like you know it's like I don't want to be in them because they're banal but then the other side of me is like I can't be in them I'm worthless like whatever that's so weird and there is like I don't even know how to talk about this in you but it's it can be surprising like the Mm -hmm. things that you think I would think oh she's gonna just be dismissive of this and And then I like like, it into it or the thing that I think (laughs) oh this is not and you're like dismissive it's it's just an interesting and it's usually it feels like it's in this pendulum totally you know that um I'm never quite sure what, no. I mean, I know in general, Yeah. but, um, it must be. and you kind of laugh at yourself like, oh, I'm so into this or, um, you know, I don't even have a really good example, but you know, I've been surprised by that. Yeah. And I'm aware of that in you. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's so goofy. Yeah. It's so goofy. Um, okay. Uh, and ever, did I yeah, no, so I read that. Did the ever-present pursuit of the extraordinary and the intense. Did I read that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So the mm-hmm. next thing I have underlined, in the case of envy, the passion itself yeah. is apparent. The passion itself is apparent. And the person thus suffers from the contradiction between the extreme neediness and the taboo against it. Yes. Um, also in light of this clash between the perception of intense envy and the corresponding sense of shamefulness and vileness, in being envious, can we understand the bad image trait? Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I do think that's kind of the underlying part of this pendulum. Yep. It's this whole embarrassing thing that we're going back and forth yeah. with all these things that we deem good or not good or banal or special. And it under all of it is this shame and this bad, bad image. And that you think <clears throat> you can't, that you have to get it out there. Yeah. yeah, I feel like if I get it out there, then maybe I'm getting it out of myself. But also, you know, I think I deluded myself for many years thinking that if I got it out there that I would find my people. Mm-hmm. And that's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. Even the people that you might find with those strong opinions are going to, um, it's still not going to work for you, really, yeah. you know. Yeah. So he, I don't think, I don't want to get into that whole paragraph but I do think the phrase um painful emptiness in the pit of your stomach yeah I think that's a again another visceral mm-hmm. kind of craving space he describes envy as that 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 it comes from a painful empty yes yeah on page 72 the the part that's called focus on suffering um and masochism and uh my friend Rachel has, has taught me about subtypes in a lot of ways. Mm. And she really thinks this is a key component of the self-press for the masochism, the use of pain as vindictiveness and an unconscious hope of obtaining love 
through, through suffering. suffering. Intense. Yes. Um, so I do, I think it's important to, to um, say that because like as a sexual four, I know that I've been talking about all this suffering that I'm having, but I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, yes, vindictive, yes, but um, I don't think that my love is going to come through the suffering. Uh, I, I mean, I think that I am suffering, and I don't know what the hell I think I'm going to get out of it, but mm-hmm. I think a self-press force actively, like George talked about at a very young age, somebody told him that if you put all those feelings out there, no one's going to love you. Right. 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 And so he put them inside and he thinks he can find love by keeping it in there and by suffering inside himself and by being masochistic and being kind of there, a stoicism about the suffering that maybe that's it is that self-pressed force have a stoicism about their suffering or at least seemingly stoic because they keep it inside. Right. Whereas I'm just splooging it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is um that's a, a important t- place. Um and they are sensitive, intense, passionate, romantic. Yes. I love all those adjectives. Um uh he he says also but tend to suffer from loneliness and may harbor a tragic sense mm-hmm. of their life or life in general mm-hmm. and um and I, I think, again, too, that like when I first read that, I was like, I don't suffer from loneliness. Because, again, I think I put that stoic piece on it that I'm like, God, I'm tough, you know. But I think I say that to myself so that I don't fall into that cannibalistic pit of, that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. So, I do. yes, I do like being alone. And I don't... Like, I like it more than most people, I think, actually. Right, right. So when I hear the word loneliness, I'm like, no, no. I tr- I'm, I'm like, no, I'm not that. But yes, I am. Because even though I like to be alone, that's different from loneliness. Very different. Which is... What you just described earlier yeah. is lonely. Like, basically, I'm lonely all the time. Right? That that I'm is sad. all a sense of loneliness, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you don't... You never really feel like you're connected. Yeah. Like... Yeah, that that it's you're always there. looking for that, and yeah. so that could be a, a definition or yeah. a, a derivative yeah. of loneliness. Is yes. what he would say. Yes, I think that's. Um, I was curious, like if so, the next uh, uh, under focus on suffering. Can you read that? Possessed of a deep longing, dominated by nostalgia, intimately forlorn, and sometimes visibly, <laughs> visibly liquidized and languorous, there are usually pessimistic, often bitter, and sometimes cynical. They are usually pessimistic, often bitter, and sometimes cynical. So, Amazing. I I wrote out in the corner here... Liquid-eyed and languorous. Liquid-eyed. Love it. a good way to say. So good. But do you think that is a good way to talk about orientation to time? You know, this is something we talked a lot about mm-hmm. in Suzanne and I think has actually been really helpful in catching myself is that trying like I don't even realize I'm doing it but I think I'm going to get what I need in the past hmm. and when I can catch myself that's so um it sounds so silly like it's really mm-hmm. silly in mm-hmm. myself and to think to think that I'm somehow going to get what I need there and not like as in a narrative review or knowing who you are and that sort of thing. But I literally think I'm going to find what I need to be to be in the future. It's a very 
weird yeah. thing that I do. Do you do you feel like that uh, is a good description of how language. you are somehow because your orientation to time is also past. in the past, right? And, and I, that's the whole kind of doing repression <clears throat> that we talk about with nines, fives, and fours. Do you feel like that's a good way to talk about it? What I don't. Saying yeah, that? I mean, I don't ever think that I'm going to find something in the past that I need to be. Um, I think in some ways I'm trying to. Uh, every part of me in the past is not good enough. Okay. But I think that what I do is I ruminate on things that happened in the past, whether it was five minutes ago or last year. they hang on to you for a long time. And they... Or um, you hang on to them. Well, it's like like fuel for my envy. Okay. So the things that I didn't... that I feel shameful about in the past... Or fuel for me for my envy to keep being cannibalistic and grabbing things and not being settled in myself and and trying to like just eat the world um, mm-hmm. because I think it'll soothe this badness this shame. shamefulness from All the past yeah. and so what's always getting lost in that is the the present and your embodiedness and that back to the padding. Um, yeah, it's just it's just like a train. Well, and he uses the words lamenting, complaining, despondent, self-pitying, um, which probably mm-hmm. may, you probably turn that into a little more cravey activation than yeah. maybe a self-pres person. Those might fit mm-hmm. a self-preservation for. But yeah, I think the forlorn kind of, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, should we go? Should we read the rest of that paragraph? Sure. Of particular prominence in the painful landscape of the Enneotype for psychology is what has to do with feeling of loss, with the feeling of loss. Usually the echo of real experience of loss and des- deprivation. Echo of real. I like that language, echo. So there is some truth to yes. it. Yes. Sometimes present as a fear of future loss and particularly manifest as a proneness to suffering intensely from the separation and frustrations of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And that's how, I think lots of times when we introduce the type four in an initial kind of know your number, mm-hmm. we can talk about, and Suzanne talked about how there is most force can talk about an early loss or mm-hmm. an early time that they weren't accepted or loved. or um, And I think his language, and it can be anything. She said, like, a school friend could just move away because their family yeah. mm-hmm. moved away, but you feel abandoned. Yeah. You know, it's... You, it's you're kind, kind of, of... You're set up that to feel ego, that way. You're set yeah. up to feel that way. And I think um, then, then it just perpetuates throughout your lifetime. That's mm-hmm. how you're set up. And I think... It's what you're always looking for. Echo of real experiences of loss and deprivation is a really mm. good way to talk about it yes. because it's it's a little um, it's, like it's so re- it's removed it can be removed from you, mm-hmm. but your way of grabbing it yeah. um, just makes it so alive and mm-hmm. intense. You're drawn, but it's really to it. an echo. You're drawn to that echo. It's, yeah, it's. <laughs> I think that's really beautiful language. It is good language. It's really good. Mm-hmm. 
just as type three children learn to shine to get attention and those who will develop the type five and eight character hopeless about ever getting it prefer the way of withdrawal or the way of power so that's what we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier Mm -hmm. so the three learns to shine to get attention the five and the eight uh kind of give up on getting it and so they they've figured out move through or withdraw yes here the the four learns to get negative attention through the intensification of need which operates not only in a histrionic manner great but also through walking into painful situations, i.e. through a painful life course. Um, For the main self-deception in type 4 is exaggerating a position of victimization, which goes hand-in-hand with their claiming, demanding disposition. So that's just so, so hard for me to to take that on, and and I know it's true. but that, that's also where the healing comes is when we realize how much we're doing that and how we need to take responsibility for that and not, uh, not walk into painful situations, not choose painful situations in order to keep manifesting the story we're telling us our, about yeah. ourselves, about being worthless and being full of lack and the world not, not giving you what you need. And um, you can just stay there your whole life. And it's... Uh, it, it, it eats you alive and it eats everybody else alive. To me, like when I think about our friendship, this part mm-hmm. of you mm-hmm. was like maybe the part that I recognized mm-hmm. or that the, most. the pattern in you mm-hmm. that I felt that I could speak to <laughs> quickly yes. because it made me, it made me mad <clears throat> that you would put yourself in spaces that were so painful. Yeah. And you, you wanted to protect I me. wanted to protect you. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt like, they, at least in my understanding, there was no um, generativity or, you know, I didn't, I yeah. didn't understand. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, you can look at me and see the opposite, that I need, you know, I could stand to put myself in some more painful situations. But when I think of, like, our friendship going deeper and us, you know, kind of understanding one another, especially from the point of view of an Enneagram, uh, this is kind of one of the first things that I thought, what yeah. are, What are you doing? Yeah, no, you really, no, no, no. You really put language around yeah. it for me. Yeah. Um, you were the first person in my life, maybe, Lee, who made, forced me to look at why I kept walking into painful situations, why I kept maintaining relationships that made me feel bad. Yeah, um, and, and it was not only it was not only maintaining relationships with difficult people, but like the amount of um, what you what you allowed that to make you think about yourself yes. was strange to like hard for me to like not shake you and be like that's not true. Like, yeah, that's just not it, a true depiction of who you are. Yeah, I think it's really hard to have a relationship with anyone and mm-hmm. not internalize almost everything they give you like I internalize everything you give me and I internalize everything Nathaniel gives me um so whether someone's problematic quote problematic or not I'm too busy manifesting pain out of what couldn't be regardless regardless right so 
I mean, I guess maybe you helped me edit a little bit um, the obvious things that I could just stop doing. And so now it's more about just um, a, a more nuanced, um, uh, allowing, allowing the energy and the comments of other people to be ripples on the surface rather than for me to for absolutely to suck them, them into my right, body. Right, Yeah. But you don't have to... We all are so, I mean, we're all, we are all so damaged. And so if we were to take, I mean, I just cannot imagine what is inside of you. If you take in all of the ways, even just me, that I'm making my way through the world in a bungled up kind of way and that you take that on, Mm -hmm. right? And just how many people... I, and I am doing okay, but I'm still a mess. <laughs> we, all, we all we are. all are. Yeah. And so, just to think of that—that um, you all dress yourselves up in that. Yes, oh, um, that's a good way to put oh, it. Oh, it's hard. It's making me sick, honestly. Just in the pit. just talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. On page seventy-four, moving toward. Um talks about the craving for love is in turn supported by a need of the acknowledgement that they are unable to give themselves yes mm-hmm. so that's right there that's in the there you go yep. I'm, so I'm unable to give myself the acknowledgement of, of my worth and so I'm, I'm I'm putting it I'm I'm love addicted and craving and um, in need of acknowledgement which was is real mm-hmm. hard for me to say that because mm-hmm. I um, I was saying that to Rachel the other day that I need all this good acknowledgement all the time. And she's like, yes, you do. Yes, you do, Elizabeth. Um, Dependency, its corollary, can manifest not only as a clinging to relationships that are are frustrating. (laughs) Clinging to relationships that are frustrating, but as an adhesiveness. Circled that word. A subtle imposition of contact, which seems the outcome of not only a contact need, but an anticipated defense or postponement of separation, which is so weird. And I think also when Suzanne talks about fours taking on two energy when they're not well, this Mm -hmm. is a good description of what that looks like. Yes. Um, So when you see a four doing a lot of this clinging and holding on to relationships that are not serving them and an over dependency and an over honestly a four that's just overly going out and grabbing whatever is like a almost a just a red flag right there i also i don't let's see if i can talk about this but the adhesiveness piece (laughs) i think is interesting because we always talk about fours being push pull and i do feel like probably even in what he's describing here there's that push-pull thing going, mm-hmm. and he talks about adhesiveness as a sub- subtle imposition of contact, um, which seems the outcome not only of the contact need, but anticipated defense. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that whole, that there is a, like you have these little tentacles, or maybe a really, maybe it's like Velcro, yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't quite come off, so you are... Um, taking in who you are in the push and the pull and everything in between but you cannot 
detach from it. Yeah. So e- whether you, I don't even, know even if you're pushing yeah. and you feel like you've rid yourself of it, mm-hmm. you are still ad- adhered uh, to it. Like you are, there is still that adhesive connection that is defining you. Like you know, it's a, right now I'm imagining my body is having glue, yeah. sticky fly trap glue all on the inside of my body. Like my the inside of my skin yeah. is fly trap goo and stuck all over it is every single interaction with someone or something Burned. I'm ruminating on or something that's hurting me. Or, and I just post it all over the inside of myself. And even when you're like, ugh, you push it away, yeah. it's still on you. It's still on me. It's still... And the, the vindictiveness that he talks about fours have, like that's us trying to get it out. Yeah. And, it, and so we don't, but we don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So we do it with this vindictiveness and this judgment and this anger yeah. because we think if we do it forcefully like that, maybe it'll work yeah. and we'll get it away, get yeah. it off of us. Yeah. But it just... And it, that just brings the shame up. It you know? just keeps you in the cycle. Keeps me in the loop. Yeah, because even then... Detachment is like Even that. then with the vindictiveness, mm-hmm. even then you are still caught in the trap of thinking it's outside of you. It's just not that thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? That yes. It's still... Uh, you can't just allow that to exist yeah. in the world to fall away. All right. With, along just with my... all the other stuff that's stuck on you. Oh, no. Because... That makes you that. I mean, that image that you just shared—it's that's your body. Like that makes mm-hmm. makes you up. That is mm-hmm. your makeup. Um, that's and that's how really, you're... you know, if you think about it, I'm really relinquishing mm-hmm. a lot of my own power by allowing myself to be an internalized flytrap. Yeah. I mean, that's it's intense. That's dumb. It's really All of us limiting my power to have agency in the world. Yeah. And have clear focus around my work you know and I feel like what we're talking about right now is hard for fours to get to initially because you're so convinced it's authentic you're convinced it's authentic and you're convinced it's worth it so you think oh it's a relationship they're they're my a they're my feelings and so feelings are not worth it yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, two things. They're maybe not your feelings, like you always tell me. And I'm like, what? So A, maybe they're not your feelings. And yeah. B, they're feelings. So you kind of worship feelings a little right. bit. So you think it's just worth it. All yeah, of that is worth it. it. And it's about relationships, which you think is worth saving come hell or high water. Right. And they, that gets you allowed to stay in the sticky mire of the gross, of the complicatedness of it. And if you just stop that and pat yourself and stop that whole thing um you maybe are afraid that you're not sure what's left after that you know and what's left is uh hard to see but you know it's there but it is there that's all and it's always been there yes it's hard to see Mm -hmm. it's hard to see but it's worth having a clear sky Mm -hmm. you know it's Mm -hmm. it's worth it um Really good image. Um, envious people, halfway down page 75. Help, help. Envious people feel hate intensely. Yes. And their screams are the most impressive. 
Also found in type 2 and 3 at the right corner of the Enneagram, so the feeling triad, is that quality that psychiatry has called plasticity in reference to a capacity to role play um, related to the capacity to modulate the expression of feeling. So I think it's very interesting to, to, to talk about the heart triad as having emotional plasticity and that kind of using our most used modality which is feelings to make our way in the world and we don't and we and we don't do it you know we think we're doing it really well we think we've got this like superpower of our big giant heart and all our feelings and how we you know modulate around all that and it's really so yes in some ways plasticity is helpful Mm -hmm. but in other ways it's um Mm -hmm. It's really, uh, it keeps you, again, it just holds you in that space we've been talking about of um, adding more sticky notes to the inside of your fly trap. Yeah, and you talked about this earlier. He also says that your kind of emotionality is similar, can look similar to the two often, Mm -hmm. but you have a greater uh, mix of intellectual interests and introversion. That's how you Mm -hmm. like yours to play out a little more. Yeah. in that connection or in those um, those spaces. Hey, and we... Or do you have any more to say on that? Uh, on what? Well, um, so going back to 74, mm-hmm. nur- the nurturance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you did that. I wanted yeah. to talk about that. So I'm... Because I see this in you, and I think it it is all of this kind of dovetails mm-hmm. in, and we've kind of been talking about it. But he says... So this is another derivative of, I guess, of envy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the nurturant characteristic of Enneotype 4 can be dynamically understood as a form of seduction. So this sounds very similar to 2. Mm-hmm. In the service of, um, uh, but let's see, in the service of, of the intense need of the other. So the nurturant characteristic of Enneotype 4 can be dynamically understood as a form of seduction in the service of the intense need of the other and its painful frustration. Caring for others may be masochistically <laughs> exaggerated to the point of self-enslavement. And yes. I think that's kind of what I was. we were talking about. That's earlier. what you were responding I just was, to. When I, yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I responded to. And so it's, and then contributes thus to the self-frustration and pain that in turn activates the demanding and litigious aspects of the character. So oh, that I, there is, I think, litigious. in you all this like <laughs> heart-directed mm. need to nurture and care but then Mm -hmm. it's caught up in the sense of lack yeah you know and so i think that's a um i think that they're underneath it there's always going to be a certain amount of self-frustration um yeah i think i mean caring for others mm -hmm. is masochistically exaggerated to a point of self-enslavement is really if you're not Intense, yeah. yeah, and I think again, that's just a um, dynamic that allows you to stay in that sticky mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. You you want to help someone, and you you know back to wanting to eat my children. So you see someone that you love, and you want to help them, and so you kind of eat them with Consume your help. Them. Yeah. yeah, and and which then, feels very, I mean, very too. It feels very too, very too. and um, and it never ends well right. doesn't that's not gonna that's just obviously not gonna work um but it feels really satisfying for a while it's like it's like you get to put your suffering in some bucket that's yeah, yeah. you is it feel like you're kind of offloading it for a little bit 
maybe it maybe feels like I'm offloading and it maybe it it feels like I'm you know helping someone I think I mean I think the reality is is that fours are really selfish and self-involved and we have a really hard time being uh like honestly helpful like you know like yes I like to I I like to have I like to be helpful to people in my life I think people who know me would say I'm helpful. You are. But um, I think if you're real honest as a four, it's not your impulse really. And you're 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 just kind of selfish because you you are this internal sticky flat trap. Yeah. So you kind of just don't have the bandwidth, frankly, to see past it like it again, I, you're looking for that clear sky. Well, there is no clear sky. So cuz you got the sticky notes all over you and you can't see the larger world. And what and 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 real and really the larger world is so in need mm-hmm. that when you do try to see that, then that kind of too much. It's too much because you want to eat that need. You mm-hmm. want to like totally dive into the need of the world. Yeah. And and then that you're. It's like you're not equipped. You're so you the co- moderation. You cope piece. with it by kind of being selfish. You know. But, and, and that's, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a proud of that at all. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, it's a moderation thing mm-hmm. that I don't, mm-hmm. I have not figured out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's tough. yeah, I think going back to those, um, verbs that he uses for mm-hmm. y'all of craving and, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. the, because of the emptiness, mm-hmm. because of your, and I think maybe because Type fours are more aware of the emptiness. Even if you can't mm-hmm. articulate it, mm-hmm. there is something in you oh, that know. is way more in tune than the rest of us. Yeah. I've numbed out to it. And threes, you are on it. Yeah, yeah, I'm on. You are on Fives it. Have numbed you are out like to it. in yeah. the cavern, and so there is a different kind of desperation mm. um, with you mm. because because of your awareness. We all have it. That's what we're all and, up to. And you know what? But you are in touch with. And it. I wonder. If that's where the authenticity thing comes in, it's like, is our hyper awareness of our emptiness what we think is authentic? Maybe so. That's weird. Maybe so. But it's even I mean, also hard for you to true, initially but, to talk about yeah. the emptiness. I would think as a someone who's just hearing because yeah. I mean, like, so we're all on this path of self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, I think a four can get stuck there. So mm-hmm. they can think, oh, I'm so self-aware of my emptiness. Yeah. I'm so aware. <laughs> all you numbers out there, all you types out there are not aware of your emptiness. Look at me being so aware of my emptiness and, and mistaking that for awareness. Yeah. You just, you just stopped on that one step, which is about like a quarter way up the, the stairs. Yeah. And you got a little addicted to that. Instead of realizing that you can see your emptiness and be aware of it and then like just let it lie down. Just yeah. let it lie there. And I think that's the trick what you just talked about is anytime we learn more and mm-hmm. more and more about our type, mm-hmm. you know, we, we get can kind of get enamored with it. With We get enamored with our little lower steps of awareness, yes. yes. And that then you miss out on the fact that you're still, ultimately you're still feeling empty. Yes. Even whatever your awareness is, so you are still doing what you do to fill yourself up in a way that's not actually going to work. Totally. But you have to just 
let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. If so. you don't use it for allowing and letting letting yourself choose something different, then it's it can really be just a fun little intellectual game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, competitive arrogance. Connected to a hateful emotionality, an attitude of superiority sometimes exists along with and in compensation for a bad self-image. And I think that's, mm-hmm. honestly, that's just a good definition of bad self-image. Yeah. And it's not just a for thing. No. I mean, when you see people I think in that overcompensatory hateful, way. hateful emotionality is for. For. Totally. Mm-hmm. But that attitude of that, I guess you could say whatever the... Like for me, it would come across as feeling shy. Yeah, you know, like okay, that's easier to take. Well, <laughs> but it also can feel aloof. Aloof, it feels maybe. disconnected. All of mm-hmm. those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, though the individual, though the four may seethe in self-deprecation and self-hate, the attitude to the outer world is, in this case, that of a prima donna or at least a very special person. Yep, um, misunderstood genius. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um. Mm. Then, like, refinement is a, is a quality, an inclination to refinement, which is, I think, sort of connected to the upper-class thing we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, is manifest into scriptures such as stylish, delicate, elegant, tasteful, artistic, sensitive, sometimes already hate that word. I know, it's like, affected, I can't believe that word, too. Uh, mannered and posturing. Um, all this compensating for the poor, poor self-image. self-image. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and then it gets into originality. The yeah. lack of originality entailed by such imitativeness in turn perpetuates an envy of originality. So I'm going to read that again. The lack of originality entailed by such imitativeness in turn perpetuates an envy of originality. Just as the attempt to imitate original individuals and the wish to emulate spontaneity are doomed to fail. That hurts so much. Um, So, again, back to the uh, cannibalistic emotions and the the grabbing, the, the aesthetic grabbing, the originality grabbing. All of that is the bypass for yourself it's Mm -hmm. like not all that is bypassing that you in your clear sky even though it's hard to see have something you know it's like you don't have faith that you have something unless you have all the sticky notes of goo on the inside giving you all this texture you think that you mistake that texture and all that grabbing that you've grabbed on Instagram for, or that you're envious of and for you you yeah uh, yeah um artistic interests yes yeah, the, um other components are the possibility of idealizing pain through art yes mm-hmm. and even transmuting it yes to the extent that it becomes an element in the configuration of beauty. Yes, yes, yes ma'am. Yes. Um, and um, finally, strong th- super ego. Yeah, but I, I want to okay. say just what? Well, well, just the transmuting and the configuration is a way of healing yourself, and so I do think it's important. 
Well, and I, think I mean, I think it's two-sided, it's, but yeah. it, I mean, you can be addicted to beauty and you can use the transmutation of beauty as a way to be elite and to be special and to make other people not feel like they get to come alongside it or that yeah. they are they get to glow inside it with you. Yeah. Um, so that's the wrong use of it. But you can you can you can um, configure beauty and transmute pain into beauty in a way that invites people in. And I, I mean, I know we've talked about this on other episodes. I think, but I think that's part of where you've found your embodiment, like totally. that connection yes. and doing. 100%. The daily stuff 100%. has led you to where you are now, mm-hmm. which is this mm-hmm. space of originality mm-hmm. and connection to, um, mm-hmm. and making these connections and letting yourself be led where that daily going to your studio, doing the work mm-hmm. has kind of opened up these spaces for you. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm talking about that in a way that makes sense, but it makes sense I feel to me. like that is. It's the medicine for me. Um, the daily mundane. It's it's mundane in that I'm I'm gonna go out there from nine to five and I'm gonna sharpen my pencils and clean my palette and sweep the floor and do and do all the things that I have to do to get ready for the day. But when you spend every day paying a lot of attention to a person that you're painting or a tree that you're painting and what kind of the bark, the way it grows on this part of it or the way someone's lips look or whatever it is, to pay attention to that in a, like over and over and over and over and over, to get lost in that is like a way out of getting lost in yourself. And and also it feels, um, there's something really healing about, just that it offering like offering that attention yeah um because it's has nothing to do with me you know and I, I I'm just I'm just I'm just paying attention to something that's not me and that and and then painting all the colors of that like trying to get what is what is that color what is that color and that feels it just feels it just feels good and I love that paying attention to something that it's not me helps you find you yes Yes. Is you. Yes. You know? Yeah. It's like all of me goes away. The yeah. next thing you're going to talk about is a super ego. Oh, yeah. So, like, that that's, that's the how the... Yeah. Okay, well, you read it then. Well, I mean, we... You know, no, that's this is, it. No, I love this, yeah. though, because, like, you underline the whole section. I didn't underline anything except more aesthetic and ethical. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I think you could probably teach me about well, this. Well, I don't know. So, it, so, I'll... Okay, so I'll read it. Refinement is perhaps the most characteristic of ways in which type four seeks to better to be, to be better. better than they are <laughs> and in so doing exercises discipline more generally there is a typically strong superego that the four character shares with the type one but on the whole type four is more keenly aware of their standards and their ego ideal is more aesthetic than ethical Yes. Along with discipline, which might have that masochistic edge, the superego characteristic of type 4 involves descriptors of tenacity 
and of being rule-oriented. Love of ceremony reflects both the aesthetic refined and the rule-oriented characteristics. Mm. I mean, I feel like this Mm. just describes you to a T. Yes, I love it. A strong superego is, of course, involved in the guilt propensity of the four and its shame, self-hate, self-denigration. I mean, just... Yes. um, I love the love of ceremony reflecting... mm -hmm. Both but, the aesthetics and the rules. Yes, and you—that that is so true. That for is you. so true for me, and I, I, mean, I get, and so I can I can create something that's good within that uh-huh. space, and I can create something that is restrictive for people and yeah. for myself. And I do think that that's like a space where you know how I was talking. I've talked to you earlier. Like I think people get sideways in their numbers where wherever you're working really hard and see someone else is not, that then that's where your anger goes. Yeah. So I think my anger goes in that I'm trying to create these spaces all the time and there are rules around it. And when I see other people just breaking the rules, whether they're aesthetic. Which generally they are. Generally they're aesthetic. Um, I get mad. I get mad because... Because I'm tired of holding all that up, probably, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I don't want to admit that. but And I, I was trying to think when I read this. Because when you think about ego and refinement and aesthetic, I think sometimes probably if I were to go back when we were just acquaintances, this part of you... It was real obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just thought, I don't belong. Or, mm, you know, so like, not in a... Me. Not in a, like... That was your response to me. That was your first response. That it felt like um, it was a very, you know, we talk about me having a shield, but that Mm. is a shield, I think, for you in a way, right? Like you don't realize it, but I think that that is so, can be so intense that Mm -hmm. it's hard to know where to get in because of of the rules. And Mm -hmm. I don't think, it's probably similar to a one, right? That Mm -hmm. you're not going to meet the standards. But it's a different idea yeah. of standards um, that is a shield. Yeah. You know, like you you are you are sticky yeah. because of the that last sentence, the shame, the self-denigration, and you have a shield yeah. that makes it makes you not so sticky. Like it's you're the sticky inside. Yeah, yeah the sticky's internal. Internal, mm-hmm. but that's um and that feels very similar to a one to me Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. that there is the the ego of the rules and aesthetics and all fours have different ones i'm Mm -hmm, certain mm -hmm. make it make it hard for it's a shield yeah you know it it, or it it can be it makes people feel um um Nathaniel's, I'm trying to think of the word he always uses for, I mean, it can feel like I'm being disdainful mm-hmm. and, and judgmental and, um, yeah. And I think, you know, and, again, it's that overactive sense that's trying to cover up the bad self-image. Those, those, that last sentence, the shame, the hate, the denigration. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to create a little beautiful basket for all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think if like I go walk around in mediocrity and muck mm-hmm. and banality that I will get mm, I don't know. 
Like, I don't know what I'm afraid of, but I think I'm afraid that I will be. It's like, I guess that's what the, the shame is, is that I actually maybe already believe that I'm banal and yeah. mediocre. And yes, I think, mm-hmm. I think that I believe that mm-hmm. already. And so all of the You're refinement. Yeah. So isn't that funny? It's like a seven that way. Yeah. I need to I need to sit with that. Yeah. It'll give me I mean, I feel like this has a lot in it. It'll give yeah. me some that will give me some space for sevens mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. I love you sevens. <laughs> I love yeah. you. Um okay, That's let's true. see. Um Okay, what else? Uh existential psychodynamics, which is always what he ends with. Um I you know, the first part of this you've talked about this. Um, and why it's even trickier for you all. He says, while we have good reason to believe that the pattern of envy, envy originates in frustration of the child's early attachment needs, we may understand the chronic pain of a four as a residue of the pain of the past. So we understand mm-hmm. that. Echo but residue. it is a trap for the type four individuals mm-hmm. to get stuck in lamenting over the past. Yes. So you have talked very clearly about that in your own growth, about how you had to lay that down. Yes. That you were stuck there for a long time. I'm going to read the next sentence. Yes. Also, while it is very true that it was love that the child needed urgently and sought, the exaggerated Mm -hmm. and compulsive search for love in the present may be regarded as a dysfunction and only a mirage or approximate interpretation of what the adult is in dire need of. And that is the deal. Um, I love mirage. Again, it goes back to like me wanting to cannibalize, but it's really just like even the, the desire to cannibalize is a mirage. Like it's all made up, you know, yeah. like it's just that, like echo several times removed. You know? Yes. And, um, yeah, you just, it's like the love need is probably even made up. Like, it, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all have love yeah. needs. So what, you know, <laughs> I mean, not so what, yeah, but you but, know what I mean. Yes, like, it's like yes. we all have love needs and obsessing about your love need. Has it gotten anybody anywhere? Yeah. Not really. Yeah. I don't think so. It's made for good books, I guess, and movies. Um, a view of an impoverishment of being or selfhood that envy seeks to fill up and which is in turn perpetuated through self-denigration. Yes. Um... Do you have anything else on that last page? Uh, yes. So I thought this was a good. Um, he says, "Looking, looking." Um, Where are you? Let's see. I wrote it down at the top. Let's do your process. Oh, so in the first paragraph or the uh-huh. continuation of it. Through a process of self-refining distortion, which you were just trying to talk about. (laughs) Self-refining distortion through the pursuit of something different and presumably presumably better or nobler than what you are. So there is a distortion in your seeking. Looking for love or worthiness through a process of self-refining distortion. That sentence, like I wrote that at the top, um... These processes are self-frustrating. For love, once attained, you just invalidate it. Mm. So there is just a continual cycle of 
self-refining distortion. And I think what you just talked about, that image of being sticky on the inside is distorted because everything is sticking. Yeah. And so there is not a part of what a four has to do is not let certain things don't need to stick. Yeah. Or you don't need to be sticky everywhere because you're internally, um, that your authenticity or search for that is distorted. Mm -hmm. It is a, it is so many times removed from the truth of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that language. Um, yes. So good. And we are all doing that. Yeah. I think our view of rea- all of our views of reality, we're all looking for what we need through a distorted lens yes. or a single lens that is completely distorded. Yes. Um, so I there think- is there is worthiness and there is goodness in what you're up to. But it's only a part of the picture. And so I think that's the whole circular part. And why when I hear the language around kind of the visceral <laughs> cannibalistic craving, those mm, kind of space that I would naturally move away from, there's something good in that for me. Right? Like mm-hmm. that's always fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And how we talked about the four and the five. You're both in the same place, but going after in a different way. Um, like we're all just distorted because we've decided our one way is the way that mm-hmm. we feel whole. Yeah. And we can't and so, feel whole through that one way. Yeah. And so like the Enneagram is good at showing you your distortion lens. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, one of the things that people talk about a lot now is like that we're all telling ourselves a story that's not true and you need to tell a different story. Well, sometimes it's hard. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you can do it without the Enneagram, but sometimes it's hard to know what, what, your story is. what your story is and where it's wrong. And so I do think the Enneagram is a helpful tool to just show you maybe what your distorted story is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, do, I think that's... And I think the gift that we, I've, I've always said this about you, that I'm drawn to your intensity, even though it scares me to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. That I know those very parts of you that I'm like, hey, Elizabeth, <laughs> you, you need to boundary that up, right? I think, God, I'd like to have less boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. That there is something about the your uh, cannibalistic... <laughs> craving tendency that I need I actually need more of like mm-hmm. I I need to be in touch with that a little more um and so that kind of it just the more that we talk about it and the more time I spend with Enneagram it's just so obvious to me the circle yes yeah. right the whole um that we all all of these virtues and even passions um that we need kind of a little taste of all of them. Totally. That, mm-hmm. that that's kind of what I think helps us that they're heal all, in they're some all way. facets of the uh, uh, diamond or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's lovely. I don't know how to how to do it, <laughs> but no, I think it's um, it's a beautiful. It's part worth of trying. It. Yeah. It's worth trying.